0: Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Sturgeon Valley Baptist Church this morning. Uh, my name is Curtis Graham. Uh, I'm the elder chair here at the church, if you don't know who I am. And uh, Pastor Tom is uh, enjoying some nice weather in a hot place. And uh, so, with that in mind, you have to listen to me this morning give you your message. This morning's message is on Psalm 107. I'd ask you if you have a Bible to turn there. We're going to be going through it verse by verse. Uh, there's pew Bibles in front of you. Psalms is a kind of right in the middle of the Bible. You can kind of open it up pretty much right halfway, and you should hit Psalms or somewhere close by. This morning's message is called "Ask," and the administrative assistant here at the church actually asked me, "Is the period that's there?" On the the title, is that supposed to be there? And the answer is yes. Yes it is. And I'm going to show you why. We have discussed rest and the necessity for the Sabbath through Pastor Tom's sermon series. And uh, in this sermon, I would like to explore why, why we can rest. I have selected Psalm 107 as our text for this morning to do so. And one word in this entire passage is, in my opinion, more important than any other. We see it highlighted in the very first verse. It translates as steadfast love in the English Standard Version, loving kindness in the American Standard Version, and mercy in the King James Version. You may have a slightly different, I think the NIV just translated as love. The Hebrew word is Hesed. I'm sure I'm probably not pronouncing that quite right, but, and it's an attribute of God. So, verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The word encompasses more qualities than the English language can permit. Hesed love is it's, it's more than just love. It's compassionate, it's generous, and it's merciful in application. Resolute, firm, and loyal in dedication. It is selfless in its intention, patient in its commitment, and delivers assurance in its promises. Hesed love is active in its application. Now, I have chosen four short statements uh, to define it. Uh, keep this in mind when we reflect on uh, these statements as we read through the, uh, about the steadfast love of God throughout this psalm. Uh, we can rest and be at peace because God is forever selfless, forever graciously, mercifully, and compassionately active forever resolute in conviction, forever dedicated to his commitments. All of that is wrapped up in this small word, steadfast. You can see why the translators have trouble translating the word has said, steadfast or uh, loving kindness, it doesn't quite capture the definition the author calls us to thank the Lord for his Hased love that endures forever. And humans can show uh, this kind of love, but not like God. Notice that endure is next to the word forever. God's love endures our fickle inconsistencies. With that said, let's continue on to verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. In verse 3, and gathered in from the lands, and from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. The psalmist tells four scenarios next through verses 4 through 32 to remind us how God relates to humanity. Each is constructed with the same form. You'll see on, the, on your, your insert, on the back here, this form, it says your personal scenario. And I'm going to ask you at the end of the service to take this and fill it out, but I'll explain some more. But you'll see there's the situation, the ask, the deliverance, and the praise. Okay, this is the form that these four scenarios cover throughout this psalm. So let's move into scenario one. Starts in verse four. Deliverance for the longing, hungry soul. Say that one more time. Deliverance for the longing, hungry soul. The situation, verse four. Some wandered in the desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Wandering in the desert, the redeemed sought paths to an oasis to find rest and relief. In an environment with no discernible way out, aimless and in an an endless maze of nothing. When we get caught up in an endless maze of sin, following what may appear to be a path leading to relief, but find ourselves continually chasing discontentment and exhaustion, Can you see yourself in verse 4? Can you see yourself in this type of pursuit? In Israel's history, they spent 40 years in the desert and endured the Babylonian exile. They knew how it felt to desire a place to call home. In both accounts, they they got lost because they refused to keep God at the helm of their journey. They were tired, exhausted, and needing rest. Verse 5, continuing on, says, Hungry and, ser- and thirsty, their souls fainted within them. So, what's the ask here? In verse 6, they say, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Verse 7, he led them by a straight way till they reached a, a city to dwell in. One of the hardest things for us to admit is that we need help. It's even more challenging if we don't recognize the danger. While ignorance may be bliss in the short term... Our perspective becomes very clear when we feel the emptiness of hunger or thirst. And can't this apply to our spiritual health as well? Are you wandering in a desert in your life? Are you feeling the emptiness of sin? Does your soul long for the comforts of home do you long for rest if so the answer in this psalm is so simple it defies our every sense just ask ask period they cried to the lord it can't be that simple can it Do we believe it can be? One thing to note is the desperation with which they asked. Now, I'm not saying that you you need to be at the end of your rope for God to act. God can save us whenever he chooses. He's all-powerful. However, we often don't turn to God for help unless necessary. And any parents out there dealing with children that are wandering into trouble, just watching them not take advantage of what you've told them, what you could provide for them. One thing to note is the desperation with which they asked. God can save us whenever He chooses. However, we often don't turn to God unless necessary, as frustrating as that is. We push our luck till we have no other choice. We think we don't need God until we get lost, and we do. We search our hearts to see where we have wandered from Him and recognize our need for His intervention. Now the next passage is the deliverance. So lucky for us, God is steadfast, that has said in his love for us. The psalm says that God will straightforwardly lead us till we reach our security. Amen to that. The praise Verse 8, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. If we could only remember everything God has done for us, we would sing his praises every moment of every day. No matter what may come. And we need reminders while experiencing God's patient and compassionate mercy, we can become indifferent towards him. The psalmist here pleads to remember God's has said love for us. Thinking this way begs the question, why is it essential to praise God? The answer comes in the definition of God's has said love. He is forever selfless. He is forever graciously, graciously, mercifully, and compassionately active. He is forever resolute in his conviction. He is forever dedicated to his commitments. Forever. That's why we praise God. There is a direct correlation between contentment and our praise of God. When we turn our focus from ourselves to God, we stop wandering in the desert of sin and find comfort and rest in the presence of our Lord. God is unwavering in his loyalty, compassion, and love for us, ready to restore us when we call upon him. Ask, period. Scenario two, deliverance from the imprisoned or enslaved soul. The situation, verse 10, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, They fell down with none to help. So, the first passage, the first scenario there was about people who got lost. They've wandered away, they've stopped listening. This second passage is more combative in nature. These are people who have spurned God, who have turned against Him. Very few of us will know what it feels like to be in irons or iron shackles. But we have all experienced things that imprison us. Verse 10 says that these characters were, prison, were prisoners in affliction and chains. We relate as sin makes us a prisoner in a very similar way. Sin can easily entangle us. Once caught, we become Prisoners. These prisoners had no liberty, no rest, constant toil. And that constant toil makes even the stoutest heart give in. Has sin trapped you in your life? Are you a slave to behavior that is keeping you separate from those you love? Do you wonder if you may be a slave to your sin? Does your soul long for freedom and rest. The first step is confronting the crisis we are in with honesty. If we are trapped, we need help from someone capable of setting us free. I'll say that again. If we are trapped, we need help from someone capable of setting us free. Let's see how they respond. The ask here in verse 13. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Seems pretty straightforward. Ask God for help, and he will deliver us from our our distress. The answer is easy in concept, but walking the path is extraordinarily difficult. Difficult when our actions trap us, stepping out of those consequences can be difficult. You know what? Oftentimes it takes us putting our pride aside and actually turning to God and saying, I need you. However, the steadfast love of God, even through our pride, stays with us that entire journey. And the deliverance in this scenario here. If you feel trapped by the weight of some of your decisions, God will set you free. If you've rebelled against God, God will set you free. The road ahead may seem impossible, but there is hope. He offers freedom from whatever prison it is and is with you through every step. And what does it say in God's word in verse 14? It says, he brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Like I said, none of us have really experienced iron shackles. But imagine being shackled to something and feeling like there is absolutely no hope. I am not getting out of this. This is not changing. I am done. God is faithful. God will guide you out of your entrapment. He is willing and devoted to forever rescue you from your sin. The path to freedom is there. How will you respond to God's said love that has been with you this whole time? These people in in shackles in verse 15, this is how they respond. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. I can't imagine how heavy a door of bronze or those bars of iron would be. Remember the words that encompass God's steadfast love, which endures forever. He is forever selfless. He is forever graciously, graciously, mercifully, and compassionately active. Active. Graciously, mercifully, and compassionately active. He is forever resolute in his conviction. He is forever dedicated to his commitments. Because of what God has done for us, we praise his name. And praise is so much more than music. When we sing, remember who God is and what he can do. God is able and is willing to set us free if we recognize our need for him. God is unwavering, unwavering in his loyalty, compassion, and love for us. Ready, ready to restore us when we call on him. Next scenario. So now we've dealt with someone who was lost, had wandered away. Secondly, we're dealing with someone who is opposed to God and because of that was in prison, shackled by the sins of their life. And the third scenario here is deliverance for the troubled, self-destructing soul. The situation here in verse 17 picks up with some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction they loathed any food and they drew near to the gates of death in this snapshot we find the consequences of a fool or of our foolishness and how god responds to it Firstly, we reviewed a scenario when when people wandered from him aimlessly apart. Secondly, we we read about people who became enslaved or imprisoned by sin. This third section is again about our relationship with sin nature and God. We see God's said love from the perspective of deliverance from consequences. The characters in this scenario are enslaved to sin and have engrossed themselves in it for an extended period of time choosing to embrace it. They are living a foolish life. Everyone's telling them, you should change. You should do something different. And they've chosen, no, I'm going to continue to do this. And it's just foolishness. The affliction described here is of a self-inflicted nature. We can get trapped by sin by wandering too close to it, but living willingly in it has long-lasting consequences. These consequences can cause us to loathe life itself. Many start to believe they have no hope. The pleasures of life and food are no longer relevant. In Psalms, these people are at the end of their rope feeling that death is coming close. Do you feel you have lived too long in sin to experience redemption? Have you lived a life that you think is foolish. You can believe you have no hope because of all of your foolishness. And the next verse shows how God's response or responds to those suffering in affliction because in affliction because of a life of folly. So here's the ask in verse 19. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. These people knew what they had done, but desperately cried out to him. How does God respond? Does it say, they cried out to the Lord, and knowing their many transgressions, he let them suffer and die as they deserved. Is that what it says? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. After a life of foolishness. The deliverance in verse 20. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Are you starting to get the strength and power of God's said love? He is forever selfless. He is forever graciously, mercifully, and compassionately active. He is forever resolute in conviction. He is forever dedicated to his commitments. Each of these words is an understatement to the bounds of God's said love for you and for me. Even if you've lived the most reckless and foolish life of sin, swallow your pride and realize that God still wants to see you delivered. Would you cry out to him and accept his redemption? God desires for you to come to him. He is waiting for you. Able to bring you out of your self-inflicted pain. Verse 21, the praise. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Can you imagine the happiness and joy that comes with this type of deliverance after living a life of foolishness? And finally coming to the recognition, I need to change. Expecting the hammer to come down. And it doesn't. And God picks you up and wraps you in his loving arms. Takes you back like a son. Let us thank God for his loving kindness. Close to death, feeling no hope. God can rescue us from the brink. He is worthy of our praise. God is unwavering in his loyalty, compassion, and love for us, ready to restore us when we call upon him. Last scenario. And this one starts in verse 23, and it's a little different than the other three. Let's read it together. Verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. Verse 27, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. You see, lastly, we see a scenario centered around fear. The seas were a a place of economic growth, but came with a risk. If you've ever been uh, on an ocean when a storm hits, it can be like sitting in a boat with moving mountains going by you. In the middle of the ocean, the average waves are two meters and can grow to more than 10 meters high. If they, can, if they combine in resonance, they can get even higher. That means ocean waves in a storm can be between three and four stories tall. Just think about that for a second. And sometimes even higher. That is hard to fathom, but it's the kind of fear the author is referencing here. Have you ever been out of your depth in life? Are you feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances? This one gets me all the time. The second thing to notice is that what they saw in the sea to pursue. In verse 24, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. This can be interpreted literally as, you know, his wondrous works of creation. But it also applies figuratively to our Christian life. Doing, doing God's work requires us to take steps of faith, putting uh, our life as it is at risk. Even following God, we experience fear. Now, it's, I just want to take a sidebar note for a second. In the verse there, it says evil plight. And uh, this is not necessarily referring to their actions, but it's actually referring to the terror of the situation. So um, just something to keep in mind. Metaphorically, we can stay close to the shore with our pursuit of God and play it safe. But the great things of God are out in the deep. When we risk little, we achieve little. If you pursue God into unchartered territory and feel out of control, write these verses from Psalm 107, 23 through 32 on the canvas of your heart. The ask in verse 28, They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. When we experience fear because of our circumstances, we can turn to God who is faithful to deliver us. Verse 29, he made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. This set of verses reminds me of Jesus when he calmed the storm with his disciples. They were alongside Jesus in his ministry, journeying with him, following God, and suddenly a storm picks up. They feared for their lives, but Jesus was sleeping. He gets up and he rebukes the waves and calms the storm. God faithfully delivers us from the impossible things, lifting us over them. Are you ready to trust God with your fear? Where could God take you if the storms were calm? So often, so often the giant barricade to us doing good works for God is our in, in inability to overcome our fears. Think of the most significant reason holding you back from sharing the gospel. Can you imagine that scenario if God just removed the barricade? In verse 30, they were glad, and, and the waters were quiet, and He brought them out of, or brought them to their desired haven. God is faithful to take you to where you saw his glorious works, so there is no need to worry. The praise, verse 31. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, has said love for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. God is worthy to be praised for his steadfast love. Remember those words to describe his said love. He is forever selfless, he is forever graciously, mercifully, and compassionately active. He is forever resolute in conviction, he is forever dedicated to his commitments. If you take a risk and follow God, know he has always been committed to you. God will see you through any fears that may come along the way. I can attest to that. Does this mean things will be easy? No. But it means that he is with you through everything, calming the waves as he sees fit to allow you to keep moving forward. You can rest assured he is in control of every storm. God is unwavering in his loyalty, compassion or uh, compassion and love for us, ready to restore us when we call upon him. This last part of the psalm from 33 to the end is all about God's sovereignty over the barren soul. This final section of the psalm is often passed over when people preach on on this. Still, I want to close the message by focusing on it to give us a better perspective on God's Hesed love for us. Would you read with me in verse 33? He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. Verse 35, he turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. Verse 36, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. So plentiful. Verse 37, they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. Verse 38, by his blessing they multiply greatly and he does not let their livestock diminish. Verse 39, when they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. Verse 41, but he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and the wicked, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. God, uh, God's work turns the heart of those who choose evil to wasteland, and those who hunger for him into springs of water and fruitfulness. This closing section is about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty, if you're not familiar with that word, is defined as supreme power or authority. The first four scenarios are the author's claims, and this last section is God's qualification or authority to do so. God has the power to deliver his restoration and deliverance, and he also can withhold his blessing in the presence of evil. You may think this seems unfair, but understand that God does everything for us to help us return to him and follow in his ways. The hardest thing to understand about God is that we are made in his image and not the other way around. God is not bound by failure and decision making like humanity. God is infinite in wisdom. God is righteous in judgment. God is gracious in redemption. God is sovereign. He wants to build you up where you have fallen. He wants to give you rest and comfort from your aimless wandering. He wants to open the traps that entangle you and break the chains that bind you. He wants to heal your self-inflicted wounds and restore you. He wants to calm your fears and provide an opportunity for you. God is for you. He is forever Selfless, He is forever graciously, mercifully, and compassionately active. He is forever resolute in his convictions. He is forever dedicated to his commitments. Whatever your question is, God is your answer. All you need to do is ask. Verse 43 sums it up. Whoever is wise... Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the hesed, steadfast love of the Lord. Be wise and remember the hesed love of the Lord. God is unwavering in his loyalty, compassion, and love for us, ready to restore us when we call upon him. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? God, you know every heart. You know every scenario. You know my scenario, God. You know all the things that I have to deal with. You know all of the different things that frustrate me. You know all the things that cause me pain. God, you know all the things that cause me to wander away from you. God, you know all the foolish things that I do. God, you know sometimes I feel fear. God, you know my fears. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Teach us and remind us of God's, has said, love that is active, ready, and willing to meet us if we would just reach out. I pray that you would go with us, Lord, as we go from this place. Lord, may you be honored and glorified through all of this. All praise be to you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Amen. Amen.